0: That brings us to chapter 10. Once again, it begins with this command and compliance statement. But it is abruptly interrupted with Nadab and Abihu's sin. And so you have this command, compliance, command, compliance, command, compliance, just as Yahweh commanded, just as Yahweh commanded for two chapters. And then chapter 10 begins that way, and then it's abruptly interrupted. If you remember from Genesis... God communicates to you, and he emphasizes things in two very important ways. One, he repeats things. Repetition is his way of saying, this is very important, pay attention. But when patterns and repetitions are interrupted, that also becomes a very important thing for you to pay attention to. And so we see how important this ordination, this purification is by the repetition, but the violent, abrupt interruption of this with Nadab and Abihu emphasizes how severe and how important this is that we pay attention to that. Once their sin is dealt with, God returns back to the just as Yahweh commanded, just as Yahweh commanded, showing you that they're able to get back to obedience to God once the sin of the two priests are dealt with. And so this is one of those cases now where we've had all this legal matter and now we're in narrative. So, chapter 10, verse 1. Then Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu each took his fire pan and put fire in it and set incense on it and presented strange fire before Yahweh, which he had not commanded them to do. So fire went out from the presence of Yahweh and consumed them so that they died before Yahweh. Moses then said to Aaron, this is what Yahweh has spoke. Among the ones close to me, I will show myself holy. In the presence of all the people, I will be honored. So Aaron kept silent. And then Moses called to Mishael and Eliph- um, Eliphaz and the sons of Uzziel, Aaron's uncle, and said to them, Come near, carry your brother- brothers away from the front of the sanctuary to a place outside the camp. So they came near and carried them away and their tunics and placed them outside the camp just as Moses had spoken. They go in and offer up strange fire. Now, this has led lots of people to speculate on what the word strange means. And some people have said that they've offered magical fire up or did some kind of like demonic thing or whatever. But that's just reading way too much into it. Basically, the idea is that God has clearly laid out exactly the kind of incense they're supposed to burn, the exact kind of oil that they're supposed to use, and the exact way that they're supposed to do it. So by using the word strange, he's using basically saying this is not normal. Because remember, the whole book of Leviticus and Exodus is about being normal, about being whole, about operating the way that you're supposed to be operating and according to God's intentional plan. And so if he has laid out what normal is and they don't do it the way that God commanded it, therefore it's strange. It's not right. What exactly did they do wrong? Most likely our best guess is that they did not offer the fire with the right incense that God commanded in the right way or they didn't do it at the right time. Now why is it such a big deal? Because God clearly laid out that these are the ways that you are to do it. And by them not doing it means that they don't care about the details. Remember last week we talked about that the way that you show your love to somebody is by paying attention to the details. And if somebody says, this is how you become right before me, and this is how you love me, and this is how you serve my people, and you're just like, whatever, I want to do the fire this way and I want to do it now. That would be very offensive to us. I mean, think about it. If you had this like grandma's special recipe for Thanksgiving and everybody's loved it and everybody enjoys it and you're trying to teach somebody how to do it in the right way and you know that if you do it this way, it always works out well and everybody loves it and somebody just says, whatever, I'm going to do this way and they just start dumping things in, you would be offended. And that's just a recipe. Let alone the God of the universe saying, This is how you become pure and holy, so that you can have a relationship with me and be right with me and then love and serve my people. And they're like, Whatever, I'm just going to do it this way. That's what made them evil. It's not that God says, I want you to put the screwdriver there and somebody moves it over an inch and he's like, (laughs) kills them. He's not that kind of a God, it's their heart. It's their blatant disregard for what God is saying. The other reason that the details are so important is because remember, hopefully by now you've realized how every little detail paints a picture of Christ yet to come. And here's what's the problem. If they do it a different way, as a teacher or a parent, you know that if you do something slightly different or you do it the wrong way, it gets even worse when your students or your children do it. Because we always over do it wrong when we watch somebody else do it wrong. And it's like the game of telephone. And eventually it passes down. So if they do it a certain way and they don't really care, then when they pass it down to the next group, they're going to probably do it even more because that strictness is not there anymore. And then it gets distorted and distorted and distorted. And eventually when Christ comes along, there is no picture of him. Because if we can screw up a game of telephone and like 15 people in a circle, then what is going to happen after thousands of years of this being passed down? And so this is the two main reasons that God is taking this so strictly, is that you're supposed to do things in the right way in order to be right before God, And you have a responsibility to make sure that this is correctly passed down to your children so that they understand who God is. Because when you are um, willy-nilly or not detailed with God's theology and God's story, then that gets grossly misunderstood by the next generation, then the next, and the next, and the next, and eventually people don't know who God is anymore. And that's what we're seeing in America. Previous generations carelessly just read the Bible, and didn't accurately communicate the details, and now we have these watered-down versions of the story. This is one of the reasons why I don't let my girls watch VeggieTales. They're so grossly wrong, and they've missed the point. I let them watch the non-Bible ones. (laughs) I don't care if they screw up A Wonderful Life or Lord of the Rings, but the biblical ones, I don't, because they present this completely different point that was never intended. This is the reality. And then, as a high school teacher, I spend most of my time undoing those distortions of who God is. And so the reality is, God says, this is how you become right before me. If that doesn't matter to you, then we cannot have a relationship. And then this is the image of who I am. And it should matter to you to pass a correct accurate image down to your children and the next generation so that they will truly know me and not your imagination of who I am. The Bible is hard enough to figure out. You don't need to be adding your imagination into it to complicate it all. And so the reality is this is why God is so harsh on them because their heart doesn't care. And as we keep going on, God's going to make it very clear, I look at the heart. I look at the heart. I look at the heart. And so that shows you right here, that's what's important. And so he brings down fire. Because fire is the cleansing judgment of God. It represents the presence of God. And fire will either condemn you, or it will cleanse you. And this is why, you, this is a painting a picture too, because when we get to the Second Testament, you need to understand that we're all going through the fire. On the Day of Judgment, the New New Testament makes it very clear we're all going through the fire. The righteous and the unrighteous. All going through the fire. And the fire begins with the house of God. Not with the world. Those evil, horrible, ungodly people out there. Those horrible people in America. They don't get the fire first. The church does. And you either come out cleansed on the other side through your faith and trust in the blood of Jesus Christ, or you come out condemned and destroyed on the other side because you decided to do it your way. Now you have to understand that they just did it their way. And this is the anthem of America. America. Because all throughout the Bible, the Bible says, what is right to a man leads to evil and destruction and death. And the heart of man is evil and wicked. And then we come along in America and we say, just do it. Follow your heart. Have it your way. And then probably the greatest anthem of America is Frank Sinatra and Elvis saying, I did it my way. Do you know how satanic that is? That's actually the first command of the Satanic Bible, too. Do what thou wilt. That shall be the whole of the law. Okay? And so this is two people going in and saying, I'm going to do it my way. And God does not tolerate that. You're not called to follow your heart. You're called to say, Not my will be done, but your will. Even if it means dying on the cross for the sins of the world. That's what Christ says. And that's what he's called. So if you're going to be a high priest, then you need to act like a high priest. And that's what God has called us to And when the fire comes, the question is, what will it be like for you? Now notice that the fire is what lit the altar. The first time the altar was ever lit, fire came down from heaven and lit it up. And then that fire became the continual fire. They were told not to ever let that fire go out which means the fire that they're constantly using throughout the generations is the fire of God. So it's way cooler than the Olympic torch. And so the same fire that lights the altar so that the people can be purified and made right before God is the same fire that comes down and consumes Abihu and Nadab and judgment because God is holy. Aaron comes along and he says to... Sorry, Moses comes along And he says to Aaron in verse three, um, among the ones close to me, I will show myself holy and in the presence of all the people, I will be honored. If you want to paraphrase that in an easier way to understand, it would read this, a closer a person gets to Yahweh, the more attention he must pay to his holiness and the glory of Yahweh. Here's another way of saying it. The more I read the Bible, the more I pray, the closer to God I get, the more of a horrible, evil sinner I feel. And sometimes I think, like, isn't this wrong? (laughs) Aren't I supposed to, like, feel better and more joy and more hope as I get closer to God? But the reality is, the closer and closer I get to God and the deeper and deeper into His light that I get, the more and more the darkness in my life is exposed. And when I think that I've, like for lack of a better phrase, conquered a sin or been sanctified in a sin, then I just realized that there's a whole bunch more there. And the more and more you feel convicted and the more and more you feel guilty, you're getting closer to God. And the more and more you surrender that, the holier and holier you are. And so the reality is, as you walk closer to God, as you get deeper in the light and you get deeper into his presence, the more and more you should be paying attention to your righteousness. And the more and more you should be paying attention to your behavior. Because the more and more it will be exposed. And the more and more you're going to be held accountable for it. Remember, God was very patient with the Israelites and their sin. And it took many years before he kicked them out of the promised land. Moses does one little mistake, it seems like, and God kicks him out. Why? Because he was closer to God. And he knew better. And he was held to a higher standard. And just as I'm not going to harshly punish my three-year-old when she sins against me because she doesn't know better and she's learning. But yet I'm going to harshly punish my 18-year-old probably for doing the exact same thing because by then she knows better and she's been walking with me for a long time. It's the same thing with us. The more you're with God, the more time you spend with Him, the longer you walk to Him, you're becoming more and more mature You know more and more about God. You know more and more about what He expects and you're held to a higher standard because you're no longer a three-year-old anymore. You're an 18-year-old. You're a 30-year-old. You're a 40-year-old in your faith and your maturity. And that's what God is saying. You guys are supposed to be the holiest people in all of Israel and you thought you could do whatever you wanted. Therefore, your judgment is going to be much harsher than anybody else's. Now... Aaron. These are his two sons. And they just got destroyed by God. How torn up would you be inside? In one sense, you have every right to mourn their death. They're your sons. No matter how evil they are, no matter what they did, they're still your sons. You still love them. And you have every right to love them because Christ still loves us despite all of our evil. Yet at the same time, You can't mourn it too much because this is the righteous judgment of God. And you still have a duty fulfilled on behalf of the nation as a high priest. I can't even imagine what's going through Aaron's head and what he's thinking. So they come in and they drag the bodies. Can you imagine being a father and watching your son's bodies being dragged out of the holy place? and you can't touch them because, one, they were righteously judged by God for their sins, and two, if you touch them, you just touched a corpse, which means you become unclean, which means the purification of the nation just gets set back seven days. This is the incredible burden of a high priest. There's things that the high priest won't be able to do that you think, wow, shouldn't you be able to go to a funeral? But he's got a whole nation to think about. A whole nation to think about. So he's watching these bodies be dragged out by people who will not reset Israel's atonement back if they touch dead corpses. And then God says, don't mourn. Verse 6, Then Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar and his other two sons, Do not dishevel your hair or your heads and do not tear your garments. So that you do not die, and so that the wrath does not come on the whole congregation. Your brothers and all the house of Israel to mourn the burning, which Yahweh has caused. But you must not go out from the entrance of the tent of meaning, lest you die. For Yahweh's anointing oil is on you, so they acted according to the word of Moses. So God says the entire scene, the normal grieving process, their cultural customs, is they would rip their outer garments, dishevel dishevel their hair, And put ashes on top of it. Like we do the opposite. We get like even more dressed up and beautified for funerals. But they would try to say, show you that what I look like is how I feel on the inside. The the, the Israelite, the Eastern people are way more expressive when it comes to their emotions. We tend to bottle emotions a lot more in America. Not everybody, but just as a whole. And so they would outwardly show it. So God says the entire nation can do that. Aaron and your sons, you can. In fact, you're not even allowed to leave the tabernacle because you started an ordination ceremony that cannot end. You have to fill it out to the completion. Now, this seems harsh of God. But remember, by calling you to a higher level of holiness, you're held to a higher standard. Because here's what's happening. If Aaron begins to publicly mourn, as God's representative, the people might confuse that as that God was wrong in the death of the two sons. Because right now, he's not functioning as a father. He's functioning as a priest. He's a representative of God. And you think, oh, the people wouldn't confuse that and misunderstand it. Oh, yeah, they would. Think about how much they've already misunderstood. And it's led them to go, oh, Moses has been gone for 40 days. That must mean God hates him and killed him. Let's build a golden calf. We're not, we're only like less than a year away from that. And it's not like their theology's grown a whole lot since then. And when we keep reading, you're gonna find a lot of those misunderstandings. And so you can't do that. And it's kind of like a general of an army. This is the best example I have right now, so if it's not great, then I'm sorry. But it's like the general of an army who is watching all of his men die. But he can't grieve, and he can't stop, and he's just got to bottle up and swallow it because the reality is they're still in the war, and if he starts grieving, and if he starts mourning, if he starts crying, that's going to present weakness to his men, and then they're going to be scared to death, and even more people are going to die because the bullets are still firing. And that's why sometimes in movies and TV shows, you'll hear them say, we will grieve, but we cannot grieve now because we will all die if we stop to grieve. And this isn't just physical lives on the line. These are spiritual lives on the line. And so just as a general signs up to that, knowing that he is not going to be able to do certain things that normal people get to do with this responsibility, so Aaron is also signed up for a position knowing that he's not going to get to do things that normal people get to do. And it's not God being harsh. It's not God being insensitive. It's not God being unreasonable. This is just the nature of certain positions and the world and the kingdom of God. He will have a time to mourn, but not yet. And not publicly, like the rest of the nation. Because right now he's wearing the ephod. It's like the general is now wearing the uniform and the four stars. When he takes that off and goes home, he can do all the crying that he wants then. But not with that uniform and not with the four stars on. And so this is what God is saying to him. Now, does Aaron get it yes verse 8 then yahweh spoke to aaron do not drink wine or strong drink you and your sons with you when you enter into the meeting tent so that you do not die which is a perpetual statue throughout your generations now we don't know exactly why god commands them not to have alcohol now god is not commanding them to never have alcohol he's saying right now two possible guesses from among people one is that it was not uncommon to give people alcohol to help cheer them up a little bit in the mourning process at funerals, to just kind of help them mourn a little bit better. And so God may be afraid that as the people come to Aaron, they might kind of put alcohol on him so that he can get through the day, so to speak. And God's saying you can't, because alcohol cannot be controlling you right now, only the Spirit of God. The other possibility is it could just be that Aaron himself might resort to that, Because this is a huge stressful situation right now. And just because he's a priest and just because of the ancient world doesn't mean that people haven't changed any. The other possibility is that his two sons might have also been drunk when they did this. He's trying to protect the other sons from repeating their older brother's examples. But ultimately we don't know. But for whatever reason, God saw it as a risk and saw the need to say it. Because God didn't just willy-nilly threw that in there. And Aaron's thinking, I would never think of that. There's something that's already going to be there as a temptation. Verse 12. Then Moses spoke to Aaron and to Eleazar and Ithamar, his remaining sons, take the grain offering which remains from the gifts of Yahweh and eat it unleavened beside the altar. So this shows you he's going right on with the ceremony. He's going right on with the purification ceremony. You must eat it in a holy place, because it is your allotted portion, and the allotted portion of your sons from the gifts of Yahweh, for this is what I have been commanded. Also the breast of the wave offering, of the thigh of the contribution offering, you must eat it in a ceremonially clean place, and you and your sons and your daughters with you, for they have been given as your allotted portion, and the allotted portion of your sons from the peace offering, sacrifices of the Israelites, the thigh, of the contribution offering and the breast of the wave offering and they must bring it in addition to the gifts of the fat parts to wave them as a wave offering before Yahweh and it will belong to you and your sons with you for a perpetual statue just as Yahweh commanded. And so this is God's way of saying we're going to take care of you. Okay, you're all mourning right now because your family members have died but this is my way of saying that despite the fact that you're still going through the ceremony you have to do it I'm also giving you a chance to go off and eat because this ceremony is not just about the purification of God, of you before God, but it's also about you being able to have a banquet fellowship party with God. And so this is where you're going to find your comfort. As you go home with your family, and only with your family, and only in a holy place, you eat this stuff. This is your way of me, this is my way of comforting you. Later, Moses sought, verse 16, diligently for the sin offering, male goat, but it had actually been burnt. So he became angry at Eleazar and Ithamar and Aaron's remaining sons, saying, Why did you not eat the sin offering in the sanctuary? For it is the most holy. And he gave it to you to bear the iniquity of the congregation to make atonement on their behalf before Yahweh. See here, its blood was not brought into the holy place within. You should certainly have eaten it in the sanctuary just as I commanded. But Aaron spoke to Moses, See here, just today they presented their sin offering and their burnt offerings before Yahweh, and such things as these have happened to me. If I had eaten a sin offering today, would Yahweh have been pleased? And when Moses heard this explanation, he was satisfied. So Moses has told Aaron that the remaining sacrifices, you were to take the blood in there and sprinkle it on there, and you were also supposed to eat the meat but instead you took the entire animal and you burnt it all on the altar. At one sense you're thinking, oh my gosh, Aaron just repeated the exact same mistake that his two sons did. He just did a sacrifice the way that he thought it should be done, not the way that God commanded it. He took the entire animal and burnt it. And this particular one, he was supposed to eat part of the meat and take the blood and put it on the thing, but he consumed the whole entire thing. And Aaron's response is this. I don't deserve to eat this, because in some way, I bear the fault of my son's sins. I'm their father. And I don't think that I had the right to go in there and sprinkle the blood just yet. And so, in a way, I felt like I had to offer a burnt offering. And even though this isn't technically what God commanded, I also didn't expect to have a sin in the middle of the ceremony. And as a father, I needed to kind of go back to the beginning and start all over with a burnt offering before I had the right to go into the tabernacle. Now that's huge. Because where the sons violated the commands of God because they didn't care, Aaron is doing it differently, not because he's saying, I'm going to do whatever I want, He's saying, I get that sin requires burnt offering before purification offering. And because of the sin of my children, I bear some of that responsibility, so I'm going back to the burnt offering. And does that communicate a heart for God that wants to be right with God? Yes. He didn't just willy-nilly do whatever he want. He went back to what God had previously said, should be done when there's sin involved. And he bore the responsibility of his son's sins and he went back to what God commanded and did it the way that he thought God would want him to do it. And Moses and God were both satisfied with his answer because he understood the significance of the judgment of God and he understood what it meant to fear God and he understood what it meant to be right with God. So... Is Aaron bitter towards God for killing his sons? No. Is he sad? Is he mourning? Heck yes. But did he understand who God is and what God expects? And even though he may have technically violated the specific commands of the ceremony, he did not violate the spirit of the ceremony. Because he went back to atonement for sins. Even though that had already been done. Does that make sense? Now this is so important. If they are not rigidly held to the exact details of all this legalistic stuff. And they're allowed to see what the intention of God's heart is. And what he's trying to communicate and they're willing to ad lib a little bit within the spirit of God's commands, then how much more are we able to do that through Christ into the law? So here's the reality. If Aaron, as the high priest, can take the spirit of God's law and fluctuate it a little bit and do it in slightly a different way, but his heart is in the right place and he gets what God really ultimately wants then how much more can Christ come along as our high priest and say, I'm going to take the spirit of the law and fluctuate it a little bit. And no, I'm not dying on an altar, but I'm going to die on the cross. And no, it's not technically you fulfilling the law, but it's going to be me and you fulfilling the law. And no, maybe you don't have to technically divide yourself and not wear 50% cotton, 50% polyester, but you're going to do this. And oh no, you don't have to stay away from unclean foods anymore. Now you can eat clean foods. Because it's not about the legalism. It's about the spirit. Now, I know I just said that you have to pay attention to the details, but remember, he's still not violating details. He's not just willy-nilly doing whatever he wants. And he's not throwing the details out and just cutting corners. He's still doing the details but he's redoing the recipe a little bit because he gets God. And it's not him saying, I want to do it this way. It's not him saying, this is the, I don't really care. I'm too lazy to go through of it. He's saying that I get what God's heart is and I'm doing what I really truly believe that God wants me to do, and that's go back and atone for my sins as a father. That does not mean that we can do that whenever we want. It means only through the guidance of the Holy Spirit, who lives in us. But because we typically can't trust ourselves, we probably should do that also in prayer with community, as well. Jesus is going to use a very example like this too, because David's on the run and he comes to the tabernacle, or the the, um, yeah the tabernacle, and he's starving, and he actually lies to the priest. About not being alone. Yet he is. And he says, I'm hungry. Give me some bread. And the priest says, all I have is the bread on the table. show bread. And only the priests are allowed to eat this. And David's like, I'm starving. And the priest says, well, make me a promise. That you haven't done this and this and this sin. And I'll give you the bread to eat. So then years later, Jesus is with his disciples. And they're picking grains of head off. And they're eating it. And the disciples are like, you're violating. The the Pharisees are like, you're violating the law. Well, technically, they weren't violating the law. They were violating the law that the Pharisees had developed. And Jesus says, wait a minute. You all teach that it was okay that David ate the bread of table show bread. Because the ultimate point of God in that is that that's God's provision for people that are in need. And the more holy you are and the more need you are, then you have access to that. And yet you all acknowledge that David was a good man doing the right thing. He was on the run as God's anointed, and he ate it because he needed it to stay alive. And God provides for people who are in need, and you think that's okay, and then my disciples pick a few heads of grain, and you're all upset. And so Jesus even said that what happened there was technical violation of the law, but ultimately the table of showbread was about God's provision for people in need. And David was in need, and he was seeking after God. And even though he lied at that moment, he still ultimately was following God and seeking him out. And so he's following the spirit of the law. And this is important to understand today when you're tempted to go under the legalism of the law or wonder why we're under the legalism of the law or other people come in and judge you for it, that your high priest now is Christ. And he is the law. And he is the word of God. He has every right to take the spirit of the law and retranslate it into this modern day society. The question now we ask is, are we going to follow that new law written on our heart, the Holy Spirit? And so this written law helps us understand the spirit of God and his intentions. Then we take that and we come to the spirit that is in us and say, what does it look like for me to fulfill the law now? Is it okay to do this a little bit differently? Because I don't have donkeys, I have cars. And that's what we're seeing here. And you're going to see that multiple occasions throughout the Bible, even Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, God's going to rewrite a lot of the laws because now they're going to land, which means the law's actually changing from life in the desert to life in the land. And things that He forbids and says, you were never, ever allowed to eat any meat that was not sacrificed in the tabernacle. If you do, that's an abomination. They get in the land, and he says, now you can. Why? Because it's too far to get to the tabernacle now when they're living in the land. And so even God will change laws here and there to address their current status and life and their current culture. But the spirit and the heart of God never changes. Just like as a parent, I may say, you're not allowed to touch my books on the bookshelf, period. Because my little girls tend to go. <laughs> but as they get older, I do away with that law. And now Natasha can touch my books and she can read them because she's old enough to appreciate what those books mean to me. And she treats them with care, probably even more care now than I do because she doesn't want to mess it up. Because, But the spirit of my attention is still the same. Books are sacred, so to speak, for lack of a better word. They're precious, they, and my books cost a lot of money, okay? And we take care of things like that. And at that point, it meant you don't touch it because you can't appreciate it. But later you can because you will. But either way, if the book gets damaged, I don't care how old you are, there's still consequences. Because that's the ultimate spirit of the law, is to protect the books. And we need to understand that's how it works. But at the same time, we can only do this through the Holy Spirit. He is the law written on our hearts. We're not alone law unto ourselves. That's follow your heart. We don't follow. And Aaron was in the mode of the Spirit at that time. He was in the mode of the Spirit. Does this make sense? The details are to paint a picture. But once you understand the picture that is being communicated, then there's freedom. Even with the book of Ruth, Boaz is required by God to leave the corners of his field empty or unharvested for the poor. But it never says how big the corners must be. And he never had to heap even more grain into Ruth's because once he's paid attention to all the details and he got the heart of God, then he was able to kind of push it aside and then just let the heart of God flow out of him and he went over and beyond the law. He did more than what the law ever required because he let the details of the law teach him who God was. And once he became one with who God was, then he was allowed God just to flow through him. And then all three of those circumstances that you talked about with David, Jesus, and, and in this case, Aaron... It was, it was done out of deep understanding of the law and the details, not just exactly. what my heart feels, kind of like the other two. It's kind of their heart, oh, this might be nice, but they didn't have a firm understanding of the details in order to make that judgment. Exactly. You've got to be a lawyer first <laughs> so you can understand the picture being painted. And then you're free to follow the Spirit. But too often we just kind of want to follow the Spirit. we haven't trained ourselves to hear his voice and so we can't discern his voice from our voice and the world's voice and then we say the spirit has called me to and it's like really how do really and we've heard people say the spirit said to me like i don't know about that one i really don't know about that one because we're not training ourselves to hear the heart of god before we say i feel the spirit is calling me but that requires work and work is not fun But it's rewarding, incredibly rewarding.